The music is Second Baghdad. It was composed and performed by oud player and 2015 National Heritage Fellow Rahim Alhaj. And this is Artworks, the weekly podcast produced by the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. This week, the NEA unveiled the recipients of the nation's highest award in folk and traditional arts, the 2015 National Heritage Fellows. The award always generates a lot of excitement here at the agency because it's a celebration of the strength and diversity of the country's ever-evolving culture. The recipients of this year's National Heritage Fellowships represent art forms ranging from those with deep roots in the United States, like the quilters of G's Bend from Alabama, to those that are more recent arrivals to our country, such as the oud playing of Rahim Alhaj. Rahim Alhaj is, quite simply, one of the best oud players in the world. is a stringed instrument that dates back at least 5,000 years, and it gave birth to many instruments, including the lute and the guitar. The oud occupies a central place in Middle Eastern music, much like the piano or violin does here in the West. Rahim El-Hajj is a performer and composer who combines traditional Iraqi maqams, which is the system of melodic modes that's used in Arabic music, with contemporary influences. In other words, a true marriage of Eastern and Western traditions. A renowned musician in the Middle East, Rahim came to the United States as a political exile in 2000. He settled in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where he slowly rebuilt his career and brought it to new heights. He's released nine CDs, two of which were nominated for Grammy Awards. He composes pieces for the solo oud, for string quartets, and for symphonies. Collaborating with musicians ranging from jazz artist Bill Frizzell to the Kronos Quartet to the rock group R.E.M. Given his embrace of music across traditions and genres, it should come as no surprise that Rahim believes fervently in the universal language of music. I spoke with Rahim earlier this week. Here's our conversation. Rahim, I have to begin first by congratulating you for being named a 2015 National Heritage Fellow. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. What's an, what an honor, really. Do you remember the first time you heard an oud? Yes. I mean, besides I heard it on the TV, uh, the first time I was in the second grade, uh, when I was in the elementary school, and my teacher knows how to play oud because, you know, the oud is the most famous instrument, like, like a guitar here in the West, basically. And he was hunting sound, and I was really courageous enough to ask him if I can just touch it. <laughs> so I went, he said, okay. So I went there, I reached my hand, and I put my hand on the oud, and I, I was just... I was in some different space. <laughs> I couldn't sleep, actually, the same day. Because I was just happy. I was so happy. And the next day I was asking him again if I can hold it. So he, he said, do you want to play it? I said, okay. You know, little boy with second grade and the oud is really big, huge. And I tried to imitate him. And then I streamed something. I don't know what I did really exactly. But he was impressed. And he said, oh, my God, you are a musician. I think you are a musician. Take it. <laughs> so he gave me this oud, and he started teaching me when I was second grade. Oh, what a gift he gave you. Yes, and I am really still 
believe that's the guy he made me musician, beside my mom, of course. Was your family musical? No, but my father actually is the most beautiful voice I've ever heard in my life. And he did not really lead me to be a musician. In fact, he fought me a lot. But my mom supported me that time, and he said, you have to study something else besides the music when I was studying music. In fact, I did. I, I studied Arabic literature beside my music. It was really difficult to study two things, really complicated and, and difficult at the same time. That's the only way my father could support me and let me study music at that time. Did your father finally come around? Uh, is the, the great things about Iraq at that time, and a teacher is very valuable things. I mean, you be teacher mean that you are like a god almost, really. It doesn't matter what, what uh, subject you teach. So that's when I graduated as a teacher, my father. I earned his respect, <laughs> I think. In fact, he has never, ever been in any concert. I was so famous in Baghdad, you know, famous that time. I was a kid, but in, it was my picture on TV. You know, when kid in TV that in the Middle East is huge thing, right? It's huge here, Newspaper too. and magazine, and, and he never get, uh, give a damn about it, really. <laughs> Who did you study with in the conservatory in Baghdad? Yes, I studied with the most famous oud player in the, the 20th century, actually. It's uh, Munir Bashir. Mainly it was Munir Bashir who was my direct teacher for uh, five years. And uh, when I was a kid, you know, I was like middle school, actually, when I entered the conservatory. When you left the conservatory, were you able to support yourself in Iraq, in Baghdad, playing your music? Yes. The situation for artists and musicians in the Middle East is really different from the West. When you are a musician or you are an artist, when you graduated, you have a salary every month from the government that you can concentrate on your art. And then if you do a concert, you're going to get money, but the concert is free for the public. So that's, that's the norm. And sometimes you teach in, in conservatory or, or middle school or high school or something like that. But mainly it's the concentration of your art. And that's the gift, actually, in the Middle East. So you don't need to do something else. And that was really important things for me to continue my uh, professional job as a musician. In fact, I do not know any job besides music, actually, since then I was, what, 13 years old? <laughs> now I'm a musician. You had political difficulties, unfortunately, during that time, and you were imprisoned during Saddam Hussein's regime. Can you tell me a little bit about what happened? Yes, when I started to become aware of the uh, situation in Iraq, and I call myself one of the generation that really suffered a lot during the uh, Saddam regime because we call them the 80s generation where the war, Iran, Iraq war for 18 years. And we were kids, I mean, we were teenagers at that time. So since I started to be aware of the political situation in Iraq, I was involved really against the Saddam regime, and I composed the music against it, and, you know, wh whatever is somebody is against the regime, they will be in trouble. So I was one of the hundreds, thousands of people who is really suffering under the Saddam regime. So I prisoned that time just because I was composing music, and one actually particular piece is called Why, Leish, an Iraqi dialect. And that's why I talk about why is, is there is uh, suffering in Iraq and, and so forth. It becomes really famous in Iraq and everybody sing it, but nobody will announce it who was composing and who was writing it. In fact, he wrote by a dear friend of mine. He's still alive, actually, uh, Jawad al-Humrani. He's a wonderful uh, a poet. 
So that's why I became politically active against Saddam, and at the same time, I uh, paid the price by in being in prison for twice, actually, in, in, in Iraq. And it became necessary for you to leave Iraq. I can only imagine that was, A, a difficult decision to make, but also a difficult thing to arrange. Absolutely. It was actually, I, I always say this, the most difficult moment in my entire life, not because to leave Iraq, but what happened is that my mom saved my life where she actually provided me a false travel document to go from Iraq to Jordan. And she sold um, practically everything belonged to her, including, including her clothes, actually, to provide this one million uh, dinar at that time, which was really, really huge number, uh, to get me out of Iraq under another name. And I had my oud, who is the first oud I, from my teacher. And the same one, it was like not, not oud, it was like very important element in my life. And I was for five years when I was a kid, I, I never ever slept without my instrument. I was as cover it and kiss it goodnight. And so when I arrived to the border between Jordan and Iraq, and at that time, there's, there's no way to take an instrument from Iraq to another country. Why uh, is that? Just, they consider that like this treasure and books too. I mean, you cannot take books from Baghdad to another country during that time, in 1991. So I couldn't really announce my name uh, because I have a mustache and different uh, identity. So they took this instrument from me, and this is the, the saddest moment in my life when they confiscated my instrument from me. But I had to make a decision that time between saving the instrument or saving my life. And I was crying just, just incredibly, incredibly uh, difficult and, and inconceivable to me, really. It's still inconceivable when I lost the most precious things in my life, who is the oud I earned when I was a kid. So you first went to Jordan, where you stayed almost a year, and then you moved on to Syria. Why Syria? I went to Syria, which is uh, the country who consider enemy of Iraq, because there is no relationship between, I mean, relationship, I mean, diplomatic relationship between Syria and Iraq since 1979. And so all the opposition groups who work against Saddam regime, they go to, to Syria at that time. And were you able to play music there and compose? Yes, uh, I was uh, a musician. And, and the, in fact, the first time when I arrived to Syria, I invited to, to give a concert, which is a really huge deal in Syria because they never saw a musician for a long, long, long time during the 70s. Yeah. So that's what I did. I was traveling and doing regular concerts and, and support myself as a musician and stayed till uh, 2000 when I came uh, to the United States as a politically asylum. Yes, I want to get to that in a moment. But before we go there, I want to talk a little bit about your music and what what inspires your musical compositions. When you sit down to write music, what are you trying to convey? I think I am obsessed about stories of women and children. And that's my concentration all the time because I feel and I believe children and women, they do not have voice. I'm trying to be their voice as much as I can to take their stories and translate it to music. If you go to all my records and all my uh, uh, composition, you will find there is voice of, of children, voice of women. 
whether their story is sad or beautiful or depressing. <laughs> but always the, my inspiration is the children and the women because they can convey the, the situation of our country, of my country specifically. Can you give me an example now? Can you play an example for me? Sure, sure. Thank you. And that piece is called Dream. Thank you very much. This is part of the, uh, of the piece. It's a really long piece about the dream of the children. What do you see when you're playing that? What do, what do, you, see? do you see anything? Do you have pictures in your mind? Yes. Actually, I have two things always come to my head when I play. I have faces of children. Some of them I know. Some of them I just imagine them. And color, actually. Always I see color in my, in my music. But mainly when I see playing uh, is the faces of these children who who is really suffering a lot. You know, the Iraqi children they've been suffering too much for more than three decades. You know, as you know, we lost two million children as a consequence of sanction. And after sanction, we have the same thing. There is two million children displaced right now in Iraq. It's devastating. Really, it's devastating for the Iraq children. Tell me about your decision to come to the United States. Why? Why did you decide to come in 2000? Actually, I didn't uh, decide, not me. The, the executive director of the refugee settlement in, in Syria, wonderful guy, I think from Libya, and he said, Rahim, you have to go to the United States, and you just need to leave. Just leave, and don't ask me questions. Why New Mexico? How did you choose New Mexico? Actually, I didn't uh, decide, not me. The United Nations chose New Mexico for me as a home. They told me for two reasons. The first reason, I'm a musician, of course, and I'm interested in art. They told me, you know, in New Mexico, Albuquerque and uh, Santa Fe and Taos, very important in art and music. And the second reason is because it's a desert, <laughs> like Middle East. So I went to my wife, who's Syrian, actually. She was a journalist, actually. She came to interview me for one concert, and I saw her so beautiful and gorgeous. I said, well, can you marry me, actually? <laughs> and I did. I married her. So that's what happened in, uh, to come to the United States. And it was a beautiful, beautiful, wonderful decision, actually, when I came here. And you cannot imagine how beautiful people in New Mexico, and they've been a wonderful, great supporter for me, since I started my career over again. It was not easy, actually, as you know, for musician and artist to start. And I thought, you know, everybody knows me. And then when I came here, I find they do not know the oud itself. You know, it's not familiar to a lot of people. 
That's what I was going to say, that I would think that people in the Middle East know a lot more about Western musical traditions than the West knows about Middle Eastern traditions. Absolutely. And in fact, that's a beautiful story. You know, when I came here as a political asylum and and I thought, you know, everything will be great. And my caseworker came to me and told me that I have a job for him. I said, okay, sure. And that time I didn't speak English, actually. I speak zero English. Uh, I can understand to some degree. And he told me that I find you a job in McDonald. And I told him, well, which kind of conservatory is that? They teach like Western classical music or Eastern classical. He said, no, no, it's McDonald. You don't teach music in McDonald. You're going to work there. And I said, but I don't play in restaurant. In any rate, I told him, no, no, it seems like you do not know me. And he said, no, I know you're one of the most famous, but you have to support yourself. So I have a dear friend of mine, uh, her name Kelly, and she's still in New Mexico. She's my dear, dear friend, actually. They told her that I need to do a concert, and she rented a hall in uh, here in New Mexico, in Albuquerque, at UNM, from her money, and I didn't have any money, so... So we made it, and in the concert, when I finished the concert, there's a guy came to the green room with his son. He is eight, seven, nine, something like that, and he was holding the program with my picture in it, and he was crying. And I said, in bad English, I said, you don't like my music? And he said, no, I adored it, but I need your autograph. Oh, my God. If this little boy understood what I'm talking about in my music, I think I'm going to make huge difference. <laughs> New Mexico, since then, became a really wonderful supporter. In fact, the next year, I started to tour and I started to make music and uh, compose, and they gave me Bravo's Award for New Mexico, and, you know, I started my career over again. traditional Iraqi music, and you respect it, and you play it, but you also innovate it. And doing that, how far do you push it? How far do you not? That can be a kind of a sticky wicket. Yes, yes. In fact, that's a really great story. Yes. Uh, so like I said in the beginning, when I came here, and I find the instrument is not famous, unknown, and I'm a solo instrumental. And I'm a big fan of the classical because my second instrument is the violin. So I started to compose music for string quartet. And, and the reaction was fantastic and wonderful. So I established the string quartet. After that, um, I composed for orchestras, for concertos, for oud and full symphony orchestra. And then I, I really pushed it, like I said, further than that. <laughs> and I started to compose music to all kind of instrument that I know of. For example, my record is called Little Earth. And this Little Earth, I tried to uh, make a statement of how can we establish peace through music? And you push the boundaries, and it doesn't matter what, where you came from, and you just play music, right? 
And I started to see the sixth continent, and I choose one country from it and one instrument that could convey this. For example, if you think of India, you think of sitar, right? Or if you think of Australia, you think of didgeridoo. If you think of America, United States, you think of Native American flute. So I started to compose music for all this music, including even actually uh, rock and roll with Peter Park, with R.E.M. <laughs> That's really push it hard. So I composed music for uh, R.E.M. And I had a, I mean, I have some collaboration with them before, but this is one specific piece that I composed for uh, Peter Park. So that's why I pushed it really hard to make this instrument more available, more, um, more noticeable to other listeners. Because stories are the inspiration to your music. Did you find that, that somehow the stories that you want to tell, that by doing these collaborations, you could tell them better, tell them differently? Yes, actually, that's a great question. In fact, this is, this is what enabled me really to open the voice bigger. For example, there's one piece I composed called Qasim about my cousin who killed in Iraq during the, the invasion. And I chose uh, the didgeridoo. Didgeridoo, it has one note. And it's very deep and very sad at the same time. It's very dark. And I thought about this sound that's the same exact Iraqi women when they grieve. It's incredible. So Iraqi women always, they grieve uh, of making sound come from the bottom of their heart. I don't know how to describe it more than they, they weep when they cry. So this voice of Dujeridoo, it was absolutely the most accurate for the voice of the Iraqi woman. And I tried to put this the voice of the Iraqi woman who is grieving for her son. It's called Qasim. first able to go back to Iraq? I'm assuming last week wasn't your first visit. No, no. First time I went to Iraq was after the invasion in 2004, and, uh, which is 11 years ago. And that's why I was able to go to Iraq because before that I can't. I can't go to Iraq because I am against the Saddam regime and Saddam was in power at that time. So when the Saddam gone, I was able to see my family the first time. So it was in 2004. And what was that experience like for you? Uh, first one was very emotional visit because I haven't seen my family since 1991. And uh, I had to see my mom and uh, my family. You know, I haven't seen my nephews and nieces or my students when I left them nine years, right? And they became like 20, 21 and of them. So it was very emotional. And you see, I went there and I saw the American tanks there. And they, I see the, the happiness in the Iraqi faces. At the same time, there's, they, are, they are confused and they are um, worried about their future. The war weariness must be extraordinary. Yes. I mean, you can imagine Iraq, for example, they've been living under this huge sky of, of violence. No, I can't. 
you know, I mean, what, three decades right now from Iraq and Iraq-Iraq war for eight years, in the first Gulf War and then sanctioned for 13 years and then invasion for the 12, 13 years. So all this violence started to be really the rhythm is so high of the violence in Iraq. This is always something that philosophically I really struggle with. What part does art play in giving hope and in bringing people together? I mean, this is a significant one. That's what I always talk about. It's amazing in Iraq, you know, in Baghdad specifically, because the violence is really heavy, right? It's just, the rhythm is so high. And the car bombing everywhere, and there's no place is safe. This visit, the ambassador of uh, of United States invited me actually to do a concert in the American embassy in Baghdad. So when I did my concert, for example, they told him, well, we'll charge, uh, we'll make uh, tickets. And I said, no, 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 you don't make t- tickets for people to come because it's, it's a very hot area. I mean, they go through all checkpoint. They could be killed any minute because there's a lot of people there, right? And that's very great targeted for the group who they need to kill as much as they can. So whatever there's group gathered together, that's what they target them. And they love it. And they come and they sacrifice their life to come to hear music. Isn't that amazing? And there's a friend of mine who is a cellist, Karim Wasfi, who is the conductor, actually, in the Iraqi Symphony Orchestra. Now, whatever there is a explosion happening in Iraq, next day he took his cello and go there and play in the same place. Every single explosion. Take his instrument, the cello, and open it and play. So I think the art make a huge role for our life and change all our aspect of life. So yes, it's very important. And I saw that they are thirsty. They are really hungry to the art. And I saw them like they go. I mean, the theater was full. I mean, all the time the theater is full of people, young and old. And it's, that's wonderful. You know, that's, that's really huge. You open, like, an uh, exhibition, for example. It's like you find hundreds of people. So the art, I think, is, is the most important element right now could help our situation to make it better. Yes. So the art is the, is the answer to change our concept to our life. Yeah, the ability of art to connect people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, Rahim, thank you so much, and congratulations again. Can I ask you to play something for us that we can go out on? Absolutely. Thank you very much, Jocelyn. I really appreciate it. This is called actually Closeness, the piece I composed when I was in Iraq the first time when I visited and I saw my mom. It was, she was so close, and she said, Hey, son, pick up your instrument. And I did this uh, piece for his called Closeness. <laughs> That was Oud Player and 2015 National Heritage Fellow, Rahim Alhaj. You can find out who the other Heritage Fellows are at arts.gov. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. To find out how art works in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. 
For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening.